Welcome to this edition of Net Zero Investor with Mona, where we examine how institutional investors tackle climate change, the biggest challenge of the 21st century. So it's a cold January morning here, and we've got today with us Wynne Francis, the CIO at Brightwell, and they manage around 37 billion in assets. It's a UK-defined benefit fund. So some of you have been around in the industry for a while and might know its predecessor, the BTPS pension scheme. Last year, they rebranded as Brightwell, and they are now offering funding and fiduciary services to third-party DB schemes. So Brightwell is quite unusual. I had a look um, at their net zero strategy and they've got quite a bold target. They want to be net zero by 2035. So today we're taking a closer look at that target and also some of the key investment challenges that Brightwell might be facing in the new year. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Wynne. Very welcome. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for joining us. So we had a look at your strategy and first guess is you're net zero by 2035. That might have something to do with the fact that by 2035, probably most of your members are retired. Is that right? That's that's very much the the case. Our membership will be pretty much all pensioners by 2035. And as part of our investment strategy, we are aiming to be cash flow matched by 2035. So that means that the liabilities will be paid for by natural liquidity coming off the investment portfolio. So there's quite a big change that needs to take place within the portfolio between now and 2035, which means there's quite a bit of movement, a bit of churn in the portfolio. And that gives us an opportunity to consider the impact of our net zero position as we go through that change. So they go hand in hand. Okay, interesting. Because already bonds account for more than half of your portfolio. So how do you even go about reducing your carbon footprint in those assets? Well, if we look at the overall pool of assets to begin with, we felt that we were very comfortable in being able to take most of the emissions out with a relatively concentrated part of the asset pool. And we have seen quite a considerable reduction as we've de-risked over the last two to three years. But that's part of our investment process that's been driving that and not specifically to target just net zero. But you're right, as we build up what becomes a bond and bond-like portfolio, the influence that we're able to exert on those assets actually changes. But that's something that we're considering now and we are working with our managers on understanding better how we can influence some of those changes that we want to see in the portfolio. So there's on the one hand corporate bonds, I guess, when when they're being issued, do you tend to hold long dated assets? We hold a mixture. We have some short dated and we have some longer dated because our liabilities stretch out over many years, over decades. So over time, we will not only hold short dated assets, we will extend the duration of those assets. And it's almost an evergreen approach because it's very difficult to match all of our cash flows today because not all those maturities are available in the bond market. So it's an ongoing management of the portfolio that we need to be doing. And what you just said now is you work with your managers on this? That's right. The onus is pretty much on them then on stewardship and engagement because if if you're holding long-dated debt, there's there's very little ability for you to influence unless you sell debt. That's exactly the way that we see it. I mean, I could argue that the investment industry is too focused on reallocating capital to today's low emitters. You know, what we really want to see, it's very easy to get emissions down in a portfolio by either eliminating or just targeting those that have already made the transition. What we're interested in is working with our managers in identifying opportunities where we're investing, if you like, or helping to fund the transition of companies that 
either haven't yet outlined their their forward-looking policy or are doing so and are now looking at how to fund it. So what that means is, and we've always said that our road to net zero is not going to be a straight line. It will be lumpy, it will go up, it will come down because there will be opportunities from an investment perspective in investing in the transition, which could quite easily mean that the emission metrics on the portfolio will increase in the short to near term, but with a pathway to seeing how those emissions then evolve over time. So in a nutshell, you want to achieve real world change rather than just portfolio level change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and that has been a desire from the start of when we announced our ambition. As you said at the start, we know this is ambitious and we are learning every step of the way. But we've always said that this isn't an exercise in just reaching an emission number in 2035. It's also by looking at the impact, we hope the positive impact that we have, not just on our on our return assumptions, but also the real world impact of achieving that net zero goal. I guess I'm hearing that a lot and just push back against that a little bit, When um, How bad does it have to be then to divest? Do you have to, to see real progress? Are you monitoring that in a way? Because the flip side to it is corporate bonds are really instrumental in funding the fossil fuel industry. And you say I remain invested in oil and gas firm XYZ because I want to achieve real world change. But if that company then doesn't change. So, so what do you then do? Well, the, the approach that we're taking is that divestment is the last resort. But that comes at the end of the engagement cycle. But it's, it's not something that we are considering right here, right now. I also feel that the transition needs to be balanced. We still need oil. We still need gas. And we will do so for a while. What's really important is that when we are engaging with our managers and, and also with the underlying companies in which we're investing, is that we see a path either on an individual level or on a portfolio level that does get to the point in the transition where we are um, moving into this in, into net zero territory. And do you feel the companies that you're currently invested with, are you you're quite confident that those paths are good or are there cases where you feel they're not making enough progress? We're definitely seeing progress. I mean, we're the, the organizations, again, that, that are in the portfolio and, and that we monitor, more and more of them are stating their ambitions. I think the pathways are becoming more clearly defined. I'm also very optimistic in that just, but just looking at where the technology is, that the transition is on a verge of accelerating. You know, if you look at the cost, the, the, the marginal cost of some of the new technologies coming in, or not so new anymore, I'm talking solar, storage, wind, you know, marginally, these are at a point where they are cheaper than alternatives such as coal. And from an investment perspective, when you reach that tipping point, I think you see an acceleration into those technologies and therefore an increase in take-up. So I'm, 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 I'm less pessimistic than and if you look at progress compared to, to Paris and where we thought we'd be. Yes, we're not on the path that I think we were hoping to see. But on the other hand, things are aligning where that tipping point in the investment and the opportunity space and I'm a little bit um, maybe less fashionable on this, but that's where capitalism kicks in. And I can see that acceleration because we are starting to see that marginal cost um, become very attractive. Okay, interesting. So you mentioned investments in the energy transition here. Obviously, for you, difficult because of your membership profile and your demographic. 
But at the same time, your funding levels are around 90%. So there is still some need for growth and to, to attract some more investment income. So are you still looking at investing in the energy transition and in for perhaps infrastructure? We, we are looking at um, limited investment in infrastructure. And we have actually just committed to a mandate that um, has some very clear sustainability targets in it and specifically net zero targets. But generally, as you rightly point out, our membership profile is such that it depends which part of the growth spectrum you're looking at. And we have very limited appetite for things like venture or early stage investing. But linking back to my, my earlier point, you know, if we are seeing some of these industries or some of these technologies really taking root, then the opportunities to finance through the debt side to finance some of those opportunities also becomes interesting. And there are still returns to be made through the credit side of the, the capital structure. We don't necessarily need to be looking at equity and equity like risk. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. And perhaps quite a good opportunity to actually think a bit about the investment context for this year that's ahead of us. Obviously, big gamble markets are, are betting on rate cuts this year. Where's your outlook on that? Do you think they're too optimistic? Should we be locking in, in the rates that we've got today? Well, I think if you look at the change, I mean, I was thinking about this discussion, actually, and was looking at what's changed since 2020 when we announced our, our net zero ambition. And since then, we've seen some quite staggering change. We've seen a global pandemic. We've seen conflict in, in Europe, the Middle East, which has sparked inflation. We've seen interest rates rise to try to tackle it. We've seen a cost of living issue. So th this year is actually, I think we're on a, on a verge of, of what could be a very interesting and volatile year yet again. It certainly feels as if, um, when I say central banks, I'm, I'm, I'm really focusing on the Fed. It does feel as if they are managing pretty well through a very difficult time. And I think the other central banks will take their lead. It certainly feels as if interest rates should be coming down, particularly in Europe. The UK, slightly different discussion given where we are with the political situation this year. And also the US, you can see a path to lower rates in the first half of this year. But I think all central banks are really going to be dependent on data. That's hardly an earth-shattering thought, but it does feel as if the early data points that we see this year is going to set the tone. And if inflation comes down, I guess it's, it's going to be the, the key decisive factor here. I, th I think that's right. I'm still wonder if we've seen the inflationary impacts of some of the big changes I've talked about over the last three years. I just wonder whether we've seen all of that flow through the system and any escalation in particularly in the Middle East and the impact that has on shipping and freight that could also have another inflationary boost, which would, again, be a challenge for central banks. One potential headache is perhaps that governments have been borrowing more than ever, especially like preceding the elections. Is this something, sustainability of government debt, that worries you? It's definitely on my list of risks. Um, we've already seen in the UK what a disconnect between government policy and the debt markets can do. I think that that's been a salutary warning, not just to the UK, but to other markets and other governments as well. And particularly looking at the, the elections in the US, the elections in the UK this year, that's definitely a risk to watch. Any other risks that we should be keeping an eye out for, do you think? 
Well, I think that's probably the main risk. There is a, a potential risk the central banks ease too quickly. And we see an emergence again or re-emergence of inflation. But I think that's possibly less likely. But no, I think the debt issue for me is high up my list other than, you know, the odd unusual or tail event that you can never really compensate for anyway. Yeah. Um, so we, obviously we talked about the doom and gloom, but let's not end this podcast quite so negative. So I opportunity is something you're looking out for in the new year. When I go back to the comment I made earlier where I'm actually quite optimistic about where we are on parts of the transition. I think seeing rates at a higher level means that it obviously challenges financing models for businesses that are possibly less robust. So I think there will be opportunities in the lending markets. I think that there will be an acceleration of capital into the more viable technologies in the transition to net zero as well. So that's something that we're definitely looking out for. So there is reason for hope, mm. fingers crossed, and also Oh, that, that applies then through to the energy transition. Um, very curious how to see how you're getting on with that net zero by 2035 target and all these investment challenges. So for now, Wynne, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.